This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Tanya J. Powers for Fox News Radio. Today I'm spending a few moments with Jimmy Wayne. You're one of those slash guys. You are a musician, country music star, slash authors. I'm sorry, you told me to call you Mr. James. James, Mr. I James. I forgot the formality of, of what is sure to be a very formal interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. You got a lot of stuff going on. I know you got a new book. Was this the third one? This is my third book. It's titled Ruby the Foster Dog, and it's a children's book, but anyone who is kid at heart. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very entertaining book inspired by uh, Ruby, the dog that I adopted during my walk halfway across America in 2010. I walked from Nashville to Phoenix to raise awareness for foster children. And Ruby, she kind of reminded me a lot of those kids she was a runt and she was um, a very small little dog and she was in a kill shelter and uh, needed to be adopted loved unconditionally you know and obviously given a, a home and I thought that's exactly what these kids need and when I got back to Nashville I thought what would be the next step in raising awareness for these foster kids and I thought wow my dog mm-hmm. she could tell the story so that kids understand what foster care is about, and um, in a fun way, very entertaining way. So there's a lot of uh, humor, a lot of history lessons, uh, life lessons, um, and that's Ruby the Foster Dog, the book. Talk to me a little bit about uh, your experience in the foster system. You were in, in the foster system by the age of nine. I was in the foster care system, yes, when I was eight years old, actually. Okay. My sister was nine. And uh, we moved around a lot. You know, she uh, unfortunately got married when she was 14. And um, that happens a lot to these kids. You know, these girls get to a point in their um, in their life when they're in foster care and they age out. There's You'll, you'll see these older men come around and uh, they prey on these vulnerable girls. And uh, these girls will confide uh, into these older men and then they'll abuse them. And that's exactly what happened to my sister. It's what happens to a lot of these females. I don't know how a female makes it through the foster care system. I really don't. I mean, it's the, you, they've got to be the strongest human beings on the planet. Um, how they make it through that, I don't know. So, and, you, and speaking of aging out, do you age out at 18 or is it before then? Most states um, age out at 18 years young. Mm-hmm. And what that means is for anyone who truly, you know, thinks that the foster care system means that they care for you until you're an adult. Um, the foster care system um, is filled with wonderful people who truly care about kids or they wouldn't be doing what they do. You know, the social workers, wonderful people. But it's still an over, it's just an overburdened, broken system because there's so many kids that need help. And they're just social workers who have a caseload of 60 kids or more cannot give that kid their undivided attention and make sure that all their kids are taken care of that month. Is that a normal number for 60 kids for one social worker? One social worker who has to drive from this area to that area and try to tend to a kid and do all the administrative work all within an eight-hour period. Then you've got to take time to eat. 
I mean, you really start taking those little things in consideration. Wow. You can't take care of all these kids. These kids slide through the cracks, and um, they end up on the street when they're 18. What that means is they their resources are cut off. They have to figure it out. Well, I hear, you know, I hear older people say to me, "Well, I was when I was 16, I had a job." I mean, yeah, but that was 1940. You know, times have changed, mm-hmm. so we need to change the law with the times. You've been working with legislative uh, folks to yes. in the past to get to where they don't age out until 21. Yeah, and we're not asking for freebies because mm-hmm. I don't believe that you should give someone something for free. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe that. I think everyone needs to work for what they get. And what that means is if you give something to a kid, that kid needs to be in school or have a job. And um, I hope it's school so that they can get an education and hopefully have a better job when they, and become productive citizens. The, the alternative is they're going to end up on welfare. They're going to end up in prison. They're going to end up in jail. They're going to end up so many bad situations that we're going to have to take care of them for the rest of their life and their kids. So why don't we take care of them now? There's a $2.60 return on every dollar invested in a foster kid. If we do that now, we don't hopefully won't have to do it here. But either way, we're going to pay for it. We're inevitably going to pay for these kids. So we may as well do it here um, instead of spending $27,000 minimum a year to house a convict. If we took $27,000 and spent it on a kid, gave that kid an education, you imagine what, how much money we'd save, how much better our you know, society, for heaven's sake. I mean, look where we are right now. It's horrible. So I believe that if we help these kids now, we're not only doing, uh, you know, a philanthropic work. We're we're actually it's homeland security at its finest. You um, have a very interesting perspective that I'm sure resonates with a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, especially kids. Uh, through your music, you have a platform. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that you've <laughs> I still can't believe you walked from Nashville to Phoenix. That's a long. How long did that take? Seven months. Whoa. Yeah. It was that was such a brutal walk and I've never talked about the the walk in detail. Yeah. But I literally walked until there were blisters under my toenails. Under your toenails? How, how does that even happen? I don't know. I don't know wh- how it happens other than walking 1700 miles. That's how it really happens. Wow. And the bottom of my feet were purple. And I would have to get up in the morning and walk a minimum of 30 minutes in order my feet to just get numb so they wouldn't hurt um of course that broke my foot i ended up breaking my foot by walking didn't trip just walked until it literally just gave gave away it just broke and then of course when i got back to nashville i'm not complaining i'm just explaining Mm -hmm. you know what happened had knee surgery and now i've got all this you know hip you're the bionic man oh (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, no one told me to do the walk. I did the, I did that walk because I truly believed in what I was doing. I wanted to help these kids because I felt so guilty that I was where I was in my career in that 12-year period. I hadn't done anything. And, and I said that I was going to do something when I made it. And I didn't. You know, at 12 years, I'm still riding around on a tour bus, having fun, being dumb, and playing big venues and just not forgetting, but just putting all that stuff on the back burner and not really doing what I said I was going to do. And I'm just not that kind of person where if I say I'm going to do something, I'm I'm going to do it. And it's 
and I just felt like, you know, this is the time for me to do something because I had a song that was a three-week number one. The spotlight was on me. Um, and when you think of that, a three-week number one song in the world, there's only 40 people who get that chance because the top 40, and you're one, of, you're at number one. So you're ahead of everyone else in the entire, on the entire globe, planet. I thought, wow, that's a lot of attention when you're that number one person in the world who is holding that spot. Why not take that moment and that time to f- turn the spotlight on foster kids if you really mean it? Was there, do you remember where you were when you had this thought? I yes. Mean, was, yep. Describe it. Absolutely. I was standing in the foyer of my townhome in Nashville, and I was stirring a cup of coffee. And I'm telling you, I love coffee. I drink all eight cups before 8 o'clock a.m., and um, I don't waste a drop. I had an entire cup of coffee, and I was stirring it, and I was thinking about everything that I had accomplished up to that 12 years of my career. And I went over to the window and looked outside, and it was real gloomy. There was an Arctic blast that had moved in from the northwest into the southeast, really cold outside. For us in Nashville, you know, seven degrees is we're dying. Um, and I walked over to the thermostat and I turned the temperature up a couple of degrees. And when the heat turned on, came on and the sound of that heat blowing through those vents, it was real quiet in my, the foyer of my home. And it was like, and I just, that overwhelming feeling of guilt just consumed me. I was like, gosh, here I am in my house that my music paid for and I'm drinking coffee and I'm living it up and I'm, I'm alone. I'm here by myself and I haven't done anything that really help anybody. And I felt like the, the Grinch, you know, the, the you just feel kind of dirty, you know, like I got to do something. And, um, that's when that thought of, I need to do something on a grand scale that's really going to raise awareness for these kids. And I don't think anyone on the planet thought I would ever do something that crazy, like walk halfway across America. I would not take one single step of it back. I met some of the greatest human beings on the planet who would literally come out to the edge of their driveway, give me coffee, would offer, offer me food, come on in and eat with us, would even say, come in and you can stay the night in our guest room. Um, if we ever think, which I do often, that this world is horrible, because I do. I mean, we all do. I guess we all do, because every time you turn around, it's so much negative junk. You're like, where are the good people? I'm like, take a walk. You'll meet them. Go down the back country roads. Go through these cities where store owners saw you or heard you on the radio and they said, hey, man, you're that guy helping people. Come on in. And I mean, I had all every walk of life to come out and military, um, police officers, different um, neighborhoods where people would say, don't walk through that side of Memphis. And they're like, you're going to get killed because you're white. And I'm like, but I'm helping people. I don't do it. And I had so many people to tell me that. And I went through what the nickname is Hurt Village. So if you've ever seen the the movie Blindside, mm-hmm. that's where Michael Orr yes. grew up. And uh, I walked through there and not one single person gave me a problem. In fact, there was a gang of guys that came out and they're, you know, they, they're tough guys. And they're like, hey, man, what are you doing here? 
And I was like, I'm walking across America to raise awareness for foster children. And they're like, wow, man, I was in foster care. You mind taking a picture with us? And they went from being tough guys with, you know, their tough, you know, that shield on to they just broke down and like hugging me and wanting to take pictures with me. And I'm like, see, if we just do good, you know, if we just do a little bit of good. And uh, there are good people in this world. I met a lot of them in uh in Arkansas, I met a few bad people. It didn't matter if you're walking for kids or not. They're still those people. So uh, you just don't let those people ruin it for everybody else. You have not stopped. <laughs> I ain't going to stop. You're not stopping. I know no. you've, you've. I mean, the walk was, you know, your feet have probably recovered hopefully by now. I mean, it's well, been a while, a little uh, bit. Yeah. I mean, well, besides the bit yeah. having the, the trouble every time you go through TSA with all the, yeah. <laughs> probably the pieces there. Yeah. But you you've written this book. Uh, you got a, a CD out, another one, mm-hmm. kids' songs, right? Yeah, it's it's songs. Again, everything that I do, I'm trying to use it to help somebody mm-hmm. else, and it's just, you know, it's just a songs that I had in my catalog that I thought these will never get recorded and become country hit songs. So they're great songs. They have great, they're great subjects, topics, uh, subjects. I'm sorry, and could generate great topics. Um, why not record these so that kids might enjoy them? Because if if they're too goofy to be on a country album, which, with all due respect, nowadays you never know. <laughs> I mean, know. you never know. <laughs> you just add a, ban- a banjo to it, and it would fit right in. But um, the v- very intelligent lyrics, such as "Don't give up," such as "I'm proud of you," such as "Family time." So it's those sub- topics that, to me, the uh, subjects. I keep getting those messed up. Anyway, they're titles. We're not judging. It's okay. Okay. As a writer, you kind of want to say that. I right do now. understand that, yeah. So they're just song titles that I hope that when people read it or listen to it, it brings the joy and a positive energy into their minivan as they're going down the road heading to school, heading to a beach trip. You know, or just if you're a dad and you and the CD is in your player, mm-hmm. it starts playing and you didn't mean for it to start playing, and then all of a sudden you're like, what is that? It's, you know, that's kind of cool. My wife's been listening to this goofy record by some guy that's wearing ski goggles. And uh, okay, I got to ask about the ski goggles. You have on ski goggles. You have okay, uh, just for people who who can't see him, obviously, because hello radio. But you have on a, a dress shirt. You've got on a suit coat. Mm-hmm. You've got on a tie. I sure do. The ties of somebody playing a that's a cow trumpet. Oh, okay, oh, I couldn't see cow. the other side of it. It's the jazz right, it a, tie. It's the guy. jazz cow tie. Mm-hmm. Which I love, by the way. It's pretty awesome. It's tied very interestingly, too. By the way, oh yeah, you got it. It's it's a little yeah. bit short oh, on the on the front. Yeah, is this a new fashion? The statement small tail is, is the, okay. Is a long, long I understand. Tail, yeah. It's a, it must okay. be a cow thing. Uh, dog tail. I guess. Okay, I mean, yeah. and then there's the ski goggles. Mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna bring it up, but since you did. What, did you what, notice? I, I, I did notice, actually. Notice I was just, you know, you see, it's New York City. You see, Lord knows what. Tell me about the ski goggles. Uh, well, during my walk across America, I um, was walking through uh, East, West, I'm sorry, get my West Tennessee, and um, there was a gentleman that walked out to the edge of his driveway, and he said, it's snow is, is crystallizing. It's real blowing sideways and it burns your face when it hit you need something to protect your eyes with here take these goggles and he gave them to me and then i wore these goggles and <laughs> the rest of the way even through the desert because the dirt would come off of the 18 wheelers that would come past you and it protect my eyes and i and i thought well when i got back to nashville i kept these goggles and then 
course, when I wrote the book Ruby the Foster Dog, the character Mr. James is yeah, wearing. He is you can wearing. See, yeah, you can see him right here. He's he's wearing goggles he's wearing everywhere goggles. he goes. And I thought, well, I gotta, you know, it's brand loyalty. You gotta wear the goggles wherever, and that means when you go to New York, you gotta wear these goggles. Dance with the goggles yeah. that brung you there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I love that. You gotta dance with the. I, I, <laughs> I'm glad you explained this. Hey, I will dance. You dance to Ruby tunes. I promise. Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's the name of the the CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and you can also see more about the book at rubythefosterdog.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, your other book is, of course, called Walked Beautiful. Yeah. And uh, that was the first one you wrote, right? This was the second book. Second My one. first book is called Paper Angels, uh, inspired by a Christmas song that I wrote way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it evolved into a movie which is aired now it's on up tv so if you if you pick up up tv channel you can watch paper angels mm-hmm. um, we filmed it in canada and um so everything that i've done truly it's, it's not it's not me bragging it's truly what i really enjoy doing i enjoy helping people and getting giving back because you know i grew up a kid that was very poor um we were on welfare my mom was in and out of prison my dad was never around you know and I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to live outside and ask for food. I know what it's like to be rescued and helped. So it helps me. It makes me feel good when I go and help somebody else. I really feel good doing it. And I don't need anyone's uh, approval. I just like, I just do it. And it's not like I'm, I don't need a Scooby snack for it. I'm just kind of like, this is what I enjoy doing. I hope you are inspired and get involved, you know. That's that sort of stuff comes from the heart. It's, yeah, and you can tell. I love it. Yeah, it's what this family did for me. They were in their eighties, seventies, seventy five and seventy nine, and I mean, this family, I had nothing to give them. A bag of dirty clothes. When I showed up at their house with long hair, you know, down my back, and this military family took me in and made me cut my hair. You know, go to church and cut my hair, and I stayed with them six years. So I know what it. I know what can happen when you invest a little bit of time and energy into a, a kid I, I do it changes their life uh a dumb question maybe but are you considering adopting foster kids or becoming a foster i've thought about parent? it and um people ask me all the time well if you care so much why don't you have a foster kid and i'm like well i'm again if i'm going to be a dad i'm going to be a full-time dad i don't want to be on the road i don't want to be because i'm gone all the time and a kid needs that uh, especially you know, at that age, if they're older, whether whether they're younger, but they need, if I'm going to be a dad, I'm going to be there, man. I'm not going to be like my dad was because um, I know what happens when you're not there. Next thing you know, they're in trouble. And if I have kids, I'm going to be there in their face. You know, I'm going to give them some breathing room, but I'm not going to be that half dad. Right. right. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, when I get older, um, I do plan on uh, adopting, fostering. Um, mentoring or whatever, you know, I've I've mentored before, but right now my goal is to get out while I can still walk and move around. <laughs> is just go out and help as many organizations as possible who who are on the ground helping these kids every day. You know, different organizations all over America. We just visited one in the House of Providence in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Unbelievable people. Um, who are, are are operating that house for these girls? I mean, you talking about sad stories? You haven't heard sad yet. That house of Providence 
in Detroit, Michigan, uh, it just it knocked me out. I'm like, and these the passion that this couple has for these kids and what they're doing, man. They did a fundraiser that was a non-alcoholic fundraiser, which everybody thinks you got to have alcohol. They did it without it, and it sold out, and they raised money for these kids. And, it, and what they do is they take the money, and they put it right back into the facility that's helping these kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just, I meet so many wonderful people doing what I'm doing, and I can help them raise the more money. Because when I tell my story about this couple, it truly does help. It raises a lot of money for a lot of organizations, and um, that makes me feel good to be able to, to do that. You know, and so down the road, I hope to maybe buy a piece of property in my home state, North Carolina, and build the first home. That'd be that'd be a dream come true. Some people certainly have a heart for others. You obviously do. Mm, I love it. Uh, you know, I don't um, want anything in return. I'm just I've been blessed. I have a home. I have a refrigerator, and I have a good coffee maker, and heat. I have heat. <laughs> I have a really good lady in my life, and I'm just like. Man, I don't, I don't need anything else. Your book is called Ruby the Foster Dog. I want everybody to check that out. Jimmy Wayne, thank mm-hmm. you for coming to see us today and tell Absolutely. us your story. Thank you so much for your support and give me this long time to share it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd keep you longer, but you know, I, I know that it. you yeah. probably got other folks to talk to, but thank you. come back anytime. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. We've been spending a few moments with Jimmy Wayne. I'm Tanya J. Powers. This is Fox News Radio. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.